This is the big pond. So there's something about walking through a neighborhood in which there are apartments or houses flanking me on both sides and thinking that you know, on both sides of me are people going about their, their lives, laughing, eating, arguing, cooking, loving, disliking, living. walking in an empty street, but knowing that you're, you're walking past lives being lived. My life in New York began with hauling my suitcase out of the subway on Astor Place and looking up. High-rise buildings stared back. One of them, my new home. My boyfriend had started a new job here and found a studio apartment for us. I remember making my way through the traffic of the West Village, dragging my suitcase behind, looking down at the big slabs of concrete, the sidewalk under my feet. What makes you turn left here? Because um, I looked up straight ahead and it just seemed empty. That, and I thought... Maybe you know, left here, there was something more interesting you know, on the streets. Maybe people hanging out outside, and so you might see stories spilling out onto the streets. When I came to New York, a few months after being here, I began dating someone, and we dated for four years and so much of my movements around the city was a movement with her or movement towards her meeting her somewhere going somewhere with her and so after we broke up so much of my walk in the city was about trying to get over the pain of that breakup and part of that meant places which were shaped, stories which were told, maps which were created by my walking with her suddenly had to be shifted. I, I had to try to start looking for new routes because those old routes brought back stories that were painful to remember. I've been finding new routes through the city too, avoiding the West Village. I live in Brooklyn now with a new boyfriend. The slabs of concrete sidewalk remain the same. Some people have left imprints in them when the concrete was still fresh and moldable. I didn't grow up walking for fun necessarily. It was always just the way to get from, you know, point A to point B, because I grew up out on Long Island um, in the suburbs, you would drive from one place to another and then walk from your car to wherever you were going. Um, and you try to park as close as possible to wherever you were going. Like you, you go to the, whenever I go home now and I, I drive to the mall, because that's where you have to go to do any shopping, um, you see people like fighting over these 
parking spaces that are close to the entryway, and then the ones that are a bit further away are all desolate. It's like, why? Why is it so awful to walk like an extra two minutes, you know? Anyway. Well, um, it's, it's walking across a parking lot, which is not that exciting. No, you know? but, you know, it's not like the worst thing in the world right. to walk a little bit. So, yeah, it was really when I went to university in New York City that I discovered, like, I can actually just use my legs. And there was so much to see in between. And that was the beginning of this whole sort of way of thinking about the world, which is based around, you know, actually physically being in it instead of just passing through it at quick speed. Back in Cologne, if I wanted to go for a walk, I'd head out of the city, to a forest, along a riverbank, or to a park at least. Some of my favorite childhood memories are from hiking vacations in the Alps, climbing mountaintops, and picking blueberries on the way back down. Now, in New York, it's hard to get away from everything just for a stroll. When I walk the streets, I pick the quieter blocks, always trying to get away from traffic and crowds. So that kid who never began walking alone, I wanted to be away from home as much as possible because I had a stepfather who was quite cruel. And the more time I spent in his presence was the more time I have been beaten for no reason at all and being abused. I'd go to some street party or go to a movie, then leave and be walking around late and too late to get public transportation back home. And when I was walking back home, I'd see other people who were leaving work or leaving the home of a friend. And so I would begin talking to these strangers on the streets and they would begin talking to me. And I was in school uniform, because in Jamaica, every school had a uniform. And this would be 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, and they were wondering why somebody in their school uniform at age 10 or age 11 walking at the center of the night and walking in the direction of what are clearly dangerous neighborhoods. So there's a certain fearlessness, which itself came from a certain folly from then, in which I walked... You know, through neighborhoods that I don't think I'd walk through them now as an adult. And so I felt very carefree. I felt that nothing would happen to me. When I'm walking, I like to pretend that I'm invisible, that it doesn't matter who I am. I'm just passing by, minding my own business, not interfering with the world. I'm not a tourist, I live here. I'm not a gentrifier, I... I'm not even here anymore. I have already moved on. I went to school in New Orleans and I was in college there and as it turns out I started discovering 
in mere weeks after I got there that there was a difference in how I could walk as a black person in that city versus my peers, my classmates who were white who were also walking through that city. One afternoon, late afternoon, I was coming from an event, a school event, and crossing a crosswalk. And someone in a wheelchair had this wheelchair got stuck in a pothole. And I offered to push him out of it and push him to the other side of the street. And he just snapped at me, threatened me, threatened to shoot me in the face with a gun. And then right after, asked a white student who was also crossing the street to help him across. And I couldn't help but ask, you know, was it race? Maybe there's something in the way I approached him. Maybe something in my Jamaican accent. Stream of, who knows? But it, it stuck in my head of saying that this seems to have been about race. And then, after that, one event after another began happening. People would see me at night, and they would call the cops. The cops would come over that somebody reported someone suspicious walking up past them or towards them. People would touch their bags and cross the streets. People would go walking ahead of me at night and hear footsteps and turn and see me and sprint ahead. And so event after event kept popping up, which made it clear that walking as a black person was a different experience in New Orleans than walking as a white person. is it this sort of area over there with the pylons um i've walked through that when there have been guys kind of idling around sitting mm. and i don't know what they're doing um and yeah i think it's when there are people there if i were by myself or you were you were by yourself it would be a different experience um for me or for you which is not to say that like men don't feel threatened in public space either because um you know they do right. and for lots of different reasons yeah. Um, having to do with, I don't know, class and race and, and just presentation. I would like to think that if I were walking with like confidence and a kind of fuck you look on my face, like no one's going to mess with me, but I'm sure that's not true. Um, it's not really up to me how people in public space um, react to me. It's more up to them <laughs> to leave me alone or not. It's something that I've been thinking about since um, he who shall not be named was elected um, in America. And the day after the inauguration, we had this massive women's march in D.C. And, and around the world. It was amazing to see on the news that night how many women had turned out, you know, wearing pussy hats or whatever, but how many women had turned out to show themselves to say like I'm putting my body in this physical environment so that you can see what I stand for I'm here and I'm declaring it and you have to deal with me In Berlin sidewalks are made of tiny cobblestones randomly shaped and uneven Woods lift them up from beneath, making themselves known. I can feel them through my sneakers. 
When I walk on flat slabs of concrete, I can't feel anything. And I wonder what's been erased underneath. So I would do things to mark me as safe. So if it meant wearing a shirt that had a university insignia on it, I would do that sometimes to say, oh, he goes to university here, he's a university student, he's safe. Or I would dress sometimes in brighter colors. So I'd wear a pants that was, let's say, a khaki pants. Um, I, I dress like a nerd or I would look preppy and that would mark me as safe and so therefore I could then have more freedom navigating through places and having less harassment. I continually forget things at home and have to run back because I've forgotten this one item or this next thing and so I'd be going somewhere and go, oh, I've forgotten that, let me run back and I'd turn and run back and I'd recognize how running would cause these problems because it had happened more than once where I'd forgot something and I made a sudden turn and the person behind me would add a scream or would freeze up and look scared and so what I would do is that I would just walk straight to the end of the block gently cross the street and then move back in the other direction still moving the slow you know or in a relaxed pace, not looking hurried, just so that they could feel relaxed or more assured that things are okay. There's something almost defiant in me that says, this is a basic right. This is a commonplace practice. I shouldn't have to give it up because of your narrow suspicions. So the way the police would treat me at times or the way people would be suspicious of me because my race would treat me at times would never let me stop walking far from it. This is too basic a practice, too essential a practice, too essential to being human. It's one of our first acts of independence and freedom. You think about it. It doesn't matter how many times you've seen it. The act of a child taking its first steps never gets old. So there's something about walking in a in that is so symbolically powerful that baby taking its first steps is symbolizing in a, a level of freedom, a level of independence, a level of discovery. That first full true act of freedom is that promise of independence the way no other human act does. Walking has not only become a way to move through life, but it has become a way of life, a way of thinking and seeing and interacting with the world.
You can't walk in my shoes and I can't walk in yours. But we walk the same streets, our feet pressing into the concrete, trying not to trip on the cracks. Many thanks to my walking teachers, the writers Lauren Elkin and Garnet Cadogan. My name is Thomas Reintjes. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Editing by Mira Bird Wintonic. Wunderbar together. You've been listening to The Big Pond, a series of dialogues between Germans and Americans, coming to you from PRX and the Goethe Institute.